Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey guys, I'm looking forward to sharing this next episode with you, but I just wanted to put out a bit of a trigger warning that there are some conversations in this episode about child sexual abuse, some details about the death of a child and domestic violence. If you feel like that might be a little bit too much for you or that will trigger you, please don't tune into this episode. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm fucking excited about this next guest. Her name is Charmaine Wilson. She is a spirit medium. She's an author. She creates her own oracle cards. She is a beautiful human. She's got her own huge, big story with alcohol. And um, I'm just so super honored to have you on the show today, Charmaine. Welcome. How are you? Oh, good. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me because it's something that I'm really interested in helping, hoping my story helps others because, um, yeah, so thank you for inviting me. So Charmaine did a reading on me a few weeks ago, I think it was, maybe a month ago, and oh, yeah. I booked oh, in the man. session. And Charmaine, I actually gave you a different name because 
was sort of a different name. But not that I didn't trust you, but uh, just because, you know, my husband and I are pretty Googleables. So I thought it didn't matter anyway. It wouldn't have mattered anyway because some of the stuff that you said in the reading, I was like, how the fuck do you know that? Particularly about there was one point in the reading where Charmaine had said to me, okay, who's missing a toe? And I'm like, oh, my God, my sister's got nine toes. And no one knows that my sister's got nine toes. And when you said that and then you said your dad's got something to tell her and then the stuff that you then shared that my dad was telling you about my mum, the specifics, I was just so blown away. And it sounded like, not your voice didn't sound like him talking, but the words you selected was exactly what the my dad would say. And um <laughs> I was just blown away. I was so blown away and have continued to be blown away since then. I think about it all the time and it gives me so much comfort. Uh, it was just amazing. And I've seen other mediums before. Um, I've had some readings before and they're just, everything was was wrong off the mark. And But this one was oh. really incredible. So thank you. But anyway, I digress. So thank one you. of the people in my challenge group had said to me, oh, Charmaine's sober. I'm like, what is she? And so I then went over to your Instagram and had a look. But um, and then I saw that you were over a year sober and I was like, oh my God, wow, this is perfect. So thank you. Anyway, that was a very long-winded story, everyone. Sorry. But um okay. yeah, so can you tell me a bit about I want to hear about everything, but mostly I would like to hear about your journey with alcohol. So I always ask everyone on the podcast when they started, when did you first drink? Okay, well I, well, I want to tell you when my story started with alcohol and how alcohol started to damage me from a very young age. I was seven when alcohol first put a shadow. I I wasn't drinking at seven, but I was sexually abused by someone who was drinking heavily. That was my stepfather. At that point, the trauma began. And um, I think that a lot of alcoholics have trauma. That was my trauma. I was seven. I had to learn to lock doors. I know that was alcohol that perhaps fogged his mind. I don't know. But I spent, um, it only happened once. Because I learned to lock doors and I learned to avoid. And many times after after that, until I finally left home at 16, um, my stepfather, when he was drunk, would approach me and try to get me to do, you know, just here and there, just little things, you know, and nothing ever happened again because I was very diligent and very scared. My first drink, and I got drunk, <laughs> was 14 um, I was by that time I, I was I was a loose cannon by that stage. I was so ashamed of my past. I was so disgusted about living at home. Um, and I went to the we used to go skating rink and we got the old flag and the brand of vino, God help us all. And um, yeah, I got really <laughs> sick that time. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I was 14 years of age. Um, my brother dobbed me in. Um, he picked me up from the skating rink. He was meant to stay skating, but he went off with a girl and he picked me up drunk as a lord. He basically Dobbed me in the next day and and um and, and mum said me rah 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 rah. But anyway, um I continued to drink basically from 14 until I was 15 and 15 I met my daughter's father. And unbeknownst to me, he was a very, very big drunk. I didn't know that at that time. I didn't know much about alcohol. I mean, when I say I drank const- I didn't drink constantly from 14. I would, you know, sneak it when you can because you're still yeah. a kid, you're still yeah. you're still running around. How old was he? My ex at that time, I was 15. He would have been 17 at that time. Anyway, um, we ended up getting pregnant to my daughter with my daughter Crystal. We got married at my ripe old age of 17. I was 16 when I got pregnant, so I was very young. So I got married at 17. I stopped drinking at that point. 
when I got pregnant because I, I you know, I'm that type of person. And his drunkenness just got worse and worse and worse. So I stayed sober for quite a long time after that because two drunks in the house was not going to work. And and it was really weird, but I couldn't find anything I liked to drink, you know, because I was always trying to drink at that point. Um, you know, and then eventually we, we split up. We split up when I was 19. And that's when I really started to drink. I think I'd had a lot of trauma by that time with my life because my ex, the Crystal's father, she had he had been quite violent, um, disrespectful, you know, ugh, disgusting. I left him the night that he was drunk. I was sober and he decided to piss on me all over in front of his mates. And that was it. I was oh, out. What? So it was pretty, pretty horrific, pretty horrific, pretty horrific. So anyway, so I left him and I started drinking. Southern Comfort was my first poison. That didn't last long. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went on to bourbon. That didn't last long. And then I found rum. Well, that was a mistake, wasn't it? Um <laughs> Something made me think that I was good on rum and mm-hmm. I became a, not so much a weekday drinker, but more like a, a weekend partier. I was a yeah. binger at that point. Yeah. So, you know, it was like my alcohol read from level to level. So I went to the, um, started binging every weekend. It was, you know, getting on the booze, getting on the booze. Um, by this time I found another fellow equally as violent. Uh, I, I don't know why I was trying to punish myself so much, but I was. Mm. And, and then I had my daughter by this time. She was, by the time I was, I was really drinking heavily every single weekend, driving drunk, um, driving with her in the car drunk, doing all the things that you should not do as a parent. I was being very irresponsible. Mm-hmm. She was going down for access visits to her dad. And he lived in Kempsey and I lived in Brisbane. That's about a six hour, six hour journey. Anyway, the last visit that she went on, um, he killed her. What? He, he killed her. He, he killed her in a drunk driving accident, of all things. Oh, my God. So he was, he was, by the time I left him, he'd been disqualified for drunk driving twice. And then he was disqualified, then he was, he was under life suspension. So I sent him down to his, his I sent Crystal to, to Tony. His name was Tony. It is Tony. Um, I would send him, her to him, and she would go because she was not at school. So he'd have her for one month and I'd have her for two months because I was one of these parents that wanted their child to have both sides, you know, because she loved her dad very, very much. Now, he was under life disqualification, but for some reason that night his mother let him drive their car and he took her to a party. And, How old was she? Uh, yeah. How old was she? She was four and a half, four and a half at that point. And it was, a ma- he was like, he would have only been about 300 metres from his house and he just lost it. And she died immediately, She, uh, from what I can gather. She suffocated on her own tongue, which I've always found fascinating. But anyway. So then I was. How are you? Hang on. I need to stop you here. How are you able to just, it's quite a matter of fact about it. Is that. Oh, that's not. This this is all part of it. Because because you can't. I'm about to burst into tears and you're just like, bang, bang, bang. (laughs) You can't live in, you can't live in that area. You can't live in a past. You can't stay there. But I did, but don't get me wrong. I stayed there for 13 years. (laughs) She'd been gone a long time now. That was in 1986. So that's a long time ago. Um, 36 years this year, if I'm correct. She just passed the 36-year mark of being Anyway, so um, so after she passed away, oh, so much went down. You, they spread her ashes behind my back um, because I don't know why. Um, you, I, I think that when I, when I went down to, to the actual funeral, I went into the hospital bed because what had happened 
was I had had a dream two nights before she passed that she was going to go missing. And this dream was so intense that I woke up and I'm just went, I, I was not a psychic medium at that point. I was not a psychic anything. I was just an, a human being struggling with life. And um, and so I had this dream two nights before and that she, she, she had gone missing. Now, four years before that, I had lost my brother. So I lost my brother at the age of 17, um, up, right after my daughter had been born. I missed that out, sorry. And that then I really started to drink after that. After, after I left her father, then I started to drink and all of the stuff with my brother started coming up. And then when my daughter died, so I went down to the funeral and um, I went into the hospital bed because I had that dream. I said, it was always going to happen. This was destined. I know this is destined. And the reason I really felt that so strongly was because the week before my brother died, my mother came to me and said, someone's going to die. She'd had a dream that someone was going to die. She's psychic. So um, she's passed, but no, she was, she didn't claim to be. Right. But she just had a dream that someone was going to die and my brother died. And then when I had the the, the vision two days or the dream two days before, so I went down and I said, look, you know, Tony, that was his name, I forgive you because this was always going to happen. This was always going to happen. And to be quite frank with you, I had been drinking driving with my daughter in the car. I had been drinking and driving. I had been doing the wrong thing. I've got to tell you, at that point I was like, I was like thanking my lucky stars that this particular date didn't happen on one of my drink driving episodes, you know. Wow. wow. And I hate to say that, but, you know, I mean, I, 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 she was gone. There was nothing I could do. So I decided to forgive him and I went home and I waited for the ashes and they wouldn't give the ashes. So I rang them up, the, the funeral service, and they said, no, 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 you're not going to get the ashes. We know all about you, Mrs. Wilson, and you're not a very good person. You, you didn't deserve that daughter. What? Whoa. Lost my, yes, they did. And so they ended up, I ended up going to the solicitor to see if I get my daughter's ashes with me. And uh, they spread them behind my back. So then I started drinking. Then I started really drinking because I was in so much pain. Um, I drank so badly at that particular time in my life. I was drinking bottle of rum after bottle of rum after bottle of rum. I was really shocking. I, I, I was terrible. I just, I just um, stayed drunk. It was the only way I could cope at that point. Now, after about six months of that heavy drunk, <laughs> best way to say it, I decided to, I've got to get my shit together. This is, this is crazy. I was in so much grief. The world had stopped moving. I was dying. I didn't have any children at that point, so I wasn't a mother, nor was I, I was, you know, I was a mother, but I wasn't. It was a really difficult time. Um, my, the person I was with at that time was my current children's father, and he too was a terrible drunk, but he was a violent, violent, violent man. And um, we would, he would beat the hell out of me because I would get drunk over Crystal and he would beat the hell out of me. And oh it was, God. and it was like, it was like I was, and I don't know if anybody else has been in this situation, but I was sabotaging myself because I somehow wanted to punish myself for losing my daughter. I really believe that now when I look back, that I would pick these fights on purpose because I wanted to hurt. I wanted to hurt. I wanted to be hurt, you know, and, and I was an aggressive drinker back then, very angry drunk, very angry, you know, aggressive to everyone, you know, always making people upset and upsetting myself and upsetting every bastard, you know, really mm. having a great time. Oh, God, it was a horrible time in my life. Mm. After six months, I started to straighten my head out a little bit 
and I started to go to gym. Um, I walked, I just, I just had to feel better. And after my mum lost my brother, she started to exercise and she said, Charmaine, why don't you try, you know? So I said, uh, so I went, <laughs> I actually went to the gym and I started getting a suntan. I thought, if I get a suntan, I'll feel better. I'll just feel better if I get a suntan. And I saw the gym now, but Crystal and I used to do um, Jane Fonda aerobics, you know, um, I don't know if you remember the old Jane Fonda aerobics, yeah. but me and Crystal used to do Jane Fonda. So walking past the aerobic room really hurt. But one day I thought, you know what, stuff it. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to go in there. And I went, I was so broke. I went to Lifeline to get my tights. And um, and so I went and did, uh, I went to this first aerobic class. And I remember it was my life saviour for quite a long time because it got me away from the drinking for a little bit. And I would only drink on weekends again because I was getting fit and healthy and I was losing my grief. I'm not losing it, but I was letting it, I was leaving that on the floor, you know, I was leaving on the aerobics floor every time. I ended up becoming an aerobic instructor for nine years because oh, that's wow. the type of person I am. So I, I ended up training to be an aerobic instructor because I, I worked, walked in there one day, I signed up for a month and I didn't leave for nine years. And I just kept on, you know, being, and it was really good for me. It didn't mean I had stopped drinking at that point. I was still a binge drinker every Friday, Saturday night, and then I got pregnant. Hallelujah. Pregnancy always stopped me from drinking. So, and I, and it was so good being pregnant and, and my second child was born. <laughs> it's just so complicated life, doesn't it? Born a boy, but now a woman. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so my daughter, so yeah, I have a transgender daughter now, but my second child was born a boy. Um, and so that really healed me for quite a long time. And I was doing aerobics and I was healthy, still binge drinking on weekends, big time, still mm-hmm. arguing about the father on the weekends, big time. And then there came the time when he beat me up so bad because I was drunk again at another party. And I know they were having a joint or something, if I recall. And I'm like, oh, I have a thing. And I started, my mouth was going, I was a rum girl. And uh, and I and he beat me up so bad that I couldn't open my eyes for three weeks that night. Oh, jeez! And then I found out I was pregnant. Oh my god! <laughs> but once again, I stopped my drinking. And what were you saying with this guy? Um. Well, I obviously loved him, and I, I already had uh, my first child to him, mm. and. I didn't know I was pregnant. I, I don't know. I, I think I was staying with him because I, I wanted to hurt myself. Mm, You've got to remember, mm. I was an abused child. Mm. I was abused. Yeah. And I, I lived with trauma, like, as a kid, of always thinking I was a dirty little tart for doing what I did. Mm. I didn't have any self-esteem because of what had happened in my childhood and the things that I had, you know, gone through with my childhood um my, my stepdad was also quite um you know he would belt us as well so you know there was a lot of stuff in my childhood that was ugly did you ever tell was, anyone sorry i just cut you off not there until i was 30 not until i was 30 so you never told mum what was going on with your stepdad when i was 30 finally when i was 30 but not when you were a girl not when it was happening no no because it was my fault i thought it was oh, yeah. i didn't know i had a choice my mum was a very sick and unwell woman she um she had really bad asthma, so you know I I didn't want to hassle her anymore, you know. And she just had a new baby at that point, and I, and I didn't want to let her know I'd been a dirty girl. I felt like I'd been a dirty. It was it's it's hard when you're a, a victim of sexual assault when you're a child, and I think that's mm-hmm. why I stayed with these aggressive men, is because of the um that. So, but mm-hmm. no, I, I eventually finally 
I left him. We moved to a small town. The drinking and the violence got worse and worse and worse. And um, one day when my youngest was two and a half, my oldest at that time would have been around about seven, I packed up the car and I left. Now, in between that time, I went to the counsellor because I wanted to give up drinking. I didn't want to drink anymore. I didn't want to have these bites anymore. So I thought, well, if I so I was trying not to drink in between that time. Um, it, it just wasn't working out. Um, I, I also found I had a lot of troubles connecting with my other two children because I couldn't show affection. So I had to had to go to counselling to learn how to show affection again. So you know, and basically that worked. <laughs> She's a very good counsellor. You know, she just said to me, you know, what you've got to do is cuddle your kids once a day and tell them that you love them and it will become a habit and then it will become easy. And so I ended up doing that. So I went straight from the frying pan into the fat. Mm-hmm. So I left their dad and their father was more restrictive on alcohol at the end of my alcoholic, at the end of our relationship because he didn't like me drinking. I ended up working in a pub. Can you imagine an alcoholic working in a pub? That was interesting. Mm. And you get all those knockoff drinks at the end. So then you're driving home like, you know, mm. and, you know, and uh, so that wasn't going, that was going down like a lead balloon at home. So he was restricting my drinking a lot or trying to, and I I'd had Jack, I'd had enough. So I'd gone through these different stages of wanting to give up alcohol, getting the job in the pub, and then once I got the job in the pub, well, yeah, we're just full on now. We're just we're just going for it. Then I met my next person, and he was a severe drinker, a, a major alcoholic. Wow. I moved in with him, and we were drinking every day at that point. And I mean, rum, beer, you know, you name it. Everything was coming in there, and, and all around these poor kids. Oh God, help them! Anyhow, I um, the drinking got really, 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 really bad to the point where my mother. My poor mother, she wrote me a letter. I, I, I don't know if I thought I kept that letter for years, but she wrote me a letter telling me how sad she was to see me drinking like that and how I'd been such a beautiful woman and that my, my, I was losing my looks and I was losing everything and I was losing my self-respect and, and I wasn't being a good mother. And she was a very heartfelt letter. I kept that letter for years, I've got to tell you. How did that <laughs> land years. with you when you read the letter? Did it make any difference oh, to you? It was, it, it was a wake-up call. It was a big wake-up call. And I and not long after that, a girlfriend had moved down and we had started doing picking around the farms, picking fruit and veggies. Anyway, and we'd gone to a party one night and we got onto the rums big time and I lost it apparently. I don't remember. I don't remember a thing of this particular night. I don't remember nothing. And um, And I was driving the car. The next thing you know, I'm in the car. I've got my kids. I'm driving drunk. I go back to the party because I realise that, you know, I've had a big fight. I've upset everyone at the party. My friend had said to me, if you don't stop this drinking, I'm going to bash the living shit out of you. And so then Jeepers. We, went to, we went to an alcoholics anonymous the next Tuesday night. You and your friend? Me and my friend, she took me to AA. Mm-hmm. But then it gets worse. <laughs> Then she said, I didn't know that she was a methamphetamine addict when she moved in. And then she said to me, do you know where to get any meth? I, I knew a few people. I know the contacts everywhere. <laughs> so we went and got some meth. I found it with the meth I didn't want to drink. Within three months I was shooting up of the methamphetamines. I know. I went from one to the other. 
Um, you know, I used to try and tell myself, you know, I'd rather my kids around a bunch of meth users and a bunch of alcoholics because that, that was, is that insane? Wow. wow. <gasps> I can't even believe that I thought that, but I did. So the meth came along and the meth became a dangerous, dangerous habit. Um, it is, I, I don't know which is worse. I think alcohol is worse because it's more accessible, in my opinion, but that's, I don't know what's worse, but with the meth, within three years I had lost my home. My kids were taken off me. They were taken to the family law courts by the family law courts and given to their father. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. Um, I lost my house. I lost my car. I even lost my teeth. They're false. Methamphetamine is a disgusting drug, and um, that's where I found myself in the in clutches of meth, which is really, really hard. Uh, but bear in mind, I am not a medium at this point. I am still not a medium. I didn't develop until I was 38. So this is all before my 38th year. Um, so I got into the mess. I, my kids were taken from me. They were taken, removed. I was living in Stansall, where I live now. And they were removed and taken all the way to South Australia. So I had no access to my children at all. Um, the meth got worse and worse and worse. Um, by the time I finished my methamphetamine habit, I was shooting up half a gram per time. Not half a gram, which would equate to about a gram and a half a day. I really messed myself up because I because I lost my daughter and then I lost my kids. So the hate to myself was I hated myself. I I hated myself. I just wanted to die. And I attempted suicide twice in that period, once after my daughter lost I lost my daughter, twice after um after I lost my other kids. Because my daughter wasn't my fault, but my kids were. You know, that, that was my fault. That was all on me. Um, during the meth days, as I like to say, that was a three-year period, 18 months of intense use because I did give up for short periods in that time. But when I gave up, I'd go back to alcohol. <laughs> you know? So I'd, I'd stop using meth for a couple of months or a month or so, and then I'd go back and I'd be drinking. And I think about that time, they started those wonderful little things called throw-down stubbies. Two sips and you're down. 200 mils, I think they were. That became a very bad habit, I must mm-hmm. say. Um, I stopped drinking spirits. I had stopped drinking spirits when I started with the meth. I, I haven't. I, I tried to go on, but I didn't ever drink rum again or any of the spirits. I just was with beer, the odd vodka after that. So my drinking changed. Um, with methamphetamines, anyone who's been on methamphetamines knows that you don't really drink on methamphetamines when you are high. You don't feel the need to drink alcohol. Um, so I stay with the meth, and on 2001, 9-11, by the time I gave up methamphetamines, I was hearing voices, lots of voices. Some of them were wow. my spirits. That is how I became. I know. So it was the here. meth that gave you the gift? or I mean, I would like <laughs> No, um, I think I always had the gift because when I look back in time, after my brother passed away when I was around my early 20s, I was getting really, really like intuitive, like really intuitive. And I don't know if it was something to do with my brother. I always, I count him as one of my guides or one of my waker-uppers, as I call them. But he has been a very guiding force in my life, my brother. Yeah, we we were really close. Now, when I was on Venomines, my father died. And my father was a force to be reckoned with. He died in 99. He he was only 57 when he died. So 56, two days off 57. So he's very young. Not long after he passed, because he knew I was on the drugs. He knew I was on the speed. I was always honest with dad, very honest with dad. 
And not long after I passed, he came to me in a dream and he said, do you know where you're going? And we were driving the car. I said, yeah, Dad, we just got here. He said, we got to, he said, now stop right now. He was trying to tell me to stop the drugs. I, at that point, I had started mucking around with um, tarot cards. I kept reading that my kids were going to be taken. My kids were going to be taken. And my father was trying to warn me. Everything, the cards were trying to warn me. Wow. And I was ignoring them. And they were taken. They were taken. And not by arms, not, not by child protective services, their father, that they went on an access visit and they never came home again, actually. But that's another story. So um, so the kids were gone. I moved up to Brisbane. I had a raging amphetamine habit. I went to family law courts. I tried to get my kids back. Um, they said, no, you're admitting to being a speed user. That's not going to happen. I went to Biella to see if I could get clean. No, no, we can give you needles, but we can't help you. So I just went home with all my needles and, and kept getting high. I eventually gave up the, the, the amphetamines in, I forgot about amphetamines, alcohol, weed, and cigarettes on the one day. It was two th- it was it was the 9-11 when the when the towers fell. That was my wake-up call. At that point, I was clearly communicating, and I didn't know at that point that I was communicating with spirit. I had no idea. I thought I had psychosis. And I was sick of the psychosis. I mean, I just really thought I had psychosis because I was a logical person. I thought, oh, this is ridiculous. These voices are crazy. I, I've got to give it up. And I remember the day I gave up the amphetamines and I looked up on the top shelf of my wardrobe because I was at that point when I would go into the wardrobe and it shoot up. And, um, and so I went into the wardrobe and my guide, who is still my guide, who I call Peter, he said to me, this is the last time you're going to do this. And something clicked. I went out the TV. I saw that 9-11 was happening. I couldn't change the channel, nothing. It was all that was on. And then, you know what made me stop drugs? There was one, one thing on TV that made me stop amphetamines forever. There were a bunch of Iranian people on the lawns. Uh, I think it was, yeah, Iranian or Iraq, one of the two. And they were lighting candles for the Americans that had been killed. And I realised at that point, it hit me that an America was going to go in and just murder that country. And that these people lighting candles, their life was about to go to hell. Yeah. And what got me was, was I was I was a participant in my hell. <laughs> I was participating in my own hell. I wow. it was so like I was a participant in destroying myself. And I stopped just like that. At that point, I was dealing in vitamins. I um I rang up the person who I was dealing with, she owed me money. I said, I cancelled. I said, please delete my number. Never call me again. I deleted her number. I deleted all the users' numbers, deleted everyone's numbers and head up to my sister's place. And I stayed up there, did not drink, did not smoke, tried to get these voices out of my damn head. But I couldn't go to a psychiatrist because I was going for custody of my children. So, right, I could- so you couldn't say there was voices? No, mm-hmm. no. But then the voices started to realise themselves and I, you know, but that's another story altogether. But so beyond the alcohol, so um, so once I found out I was a medium, I did, I, I would I would let myself drink four times a year. I gave up alcohol at that point, basically for four years. But for four times a year, I would allow myself to have a six pack of beer. I was so, you know, controlled. I thought, mm-hmm. this is the way, I'm controlled. But I'm going to tell you, I was a dry drunk. I... Mm raved alcohol mm. I just thought oh I wanted it so much I just wanted alcohol so much I 
it was like, you know, I was doing so many shows in like RSLs and stuff like that by this point. I was already out doing shows. Doing, and every time I went past the bar, I could smell the beer. And it was like, oh, God. It was, mm-hmm. it was quite intense because I was yeah. a dry drunk. I yeah. was giving up because I felt like that was what I, it, I was doing it because I felt like that would make me a better medium. Or so. I don't know why. I, 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 I was not willingly giving up by the sound because I just well, I hammered for it so life went on I was doing this dry drunk stuff I was really uptight because I was always on edge yeah and then I met my husband um another strange story but that's for another day I met my husband who's a massive drinker absolutely oh, no. <laughs> the one please oh, yeah. oh oh yes but he's not a bad drunk he's really he's a that he's the best thing that ever happened to me in actual reality fact um, it, it, he really is the best thing that ever happened to me. So, yeah, of course, I started drinking, but I only drank beer and, oh, God, help us all, tequila. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we we ended up, um, I, I wasn't so bad when I first met him and we were drinking, like, regularly. Um, he drank every single day. Um, not a bad drunk, though, just drinks, goes to bed. That's what he does. He's not one of those people like I like I am. I'm, I'm <laughs> shitty drunk. Um, but when I met him, because of his 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 energy, my energy didn't become inflamed. So I became a good drinker. After all mm-hmm. the years of being an incredibly out of control drinker, I became a good drinker. I was not cracking up. I was not getting upset. I was not doing, and you know, and we, would, we started drinking more and more and more. Then we got a bus and we decided to go around Australia and do two tours around Australia. So we had a tour bus for four years. And we traveled around Australia. And you know, every time we get to another caravan park, it's three o'clock, you know, You've ever been to caravan parks on tour? Mm-hmm. Everyone starts drinking at the caravan parks at three mm-hmm. o'clock. It's just what happens. So we started mm-hmm. daily drinking. And that was okay because I thought, okay, I'm still not a bad drunk. I'm not getting a hangover because I've gone past the hangover point by the time I gave up. Did you have your kids back at this stage? No, I never no. got my kids back again. Um, okay, okay. I yep. had my, my daughter, well, my, my now daughter came back when she was transitioning because she didn't want her dad to bag her out what was going on but she came back for about oh, about a year and a half two years but I never got full custody of it again okay. um do I have full access to them now are they my besties yes yes oh, all yeah. that was sorted all right. my respect was given back and, and how I finally kicked its ass forever I started because I was all I had this because I'm psychic I have to always remember I'm psychic I always forget this but I kept thinking your liver's You've got to watch your liver. You're going to die of liver disease. You're going to die of liver disease. I kept thinking, I'm going to die of liver disease. Drink, 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 drink. Mm-hmm. You're going to die of liver disease. Drink, drink, drink. So I kept on drinking. So I kept having blood tests. So I thought if I keep the blood test going, then I can, you know, keep an eye on the liver levels. Is that crazy how we make these allowances? It's like... <laughs> I keep drinking, and if something happens, then I'll, I'll be on top of it. So every year mm. I was having this blood test, and, and my liver levels were high, um, and, but they weren't too hot. They weren't like they were in the red, but they weren't in the red, red, red. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the things we tell ourselves. And so this, is, this, this was the final straw. So um, I gave up on July 29th, 2021, for good. And what the final straw was, so... I'd, I'd, we, we went through COVID, as you know, and when COVID came, my creek drinking increased. I went like from everyone's. having like, oh, I end up, I start, I think I, at the end I was doing about three beers a day, a bottle and a quarter of wine and several vodkas. 
That was wow. at the end. Wow. So it was a lot of alcohol. And all of this would start, well, I used to try to hold off until four, but I end up going about lunchtime, you know, when I wasn't doing readings. Then I finished doing a reading. You see, because I wasn't getting hangovers, it wasn't affecting my readings because my liver was so destroyed that it was just life for my poor old liver. I went and got eye surgery. I had a cataract removed from the left eye. And and then our bulldog, we had a bulldog, and the bulldog was um, 12, quite old, and we had to put him down. So we had the eye surgery. Two days after that, we had to put the bulldog down. So I'm on a bender, as you can imagine. I'm on one of my big benders. Um, I'm not stopping drinking at all. My husband gets sick, Pat gets sick. And so, and he's, and he's saying, no, you know what men are like? I said, you want to go to the hospital? No. Okay. You know, no, don't need me to drive. I did that for two nights while that man laid in pain. Um, I went and got him suppositories. I went and got him up in the daytime. Do you want to go to the hospital? No, no, no. I'll be right. We kept drinking. Anyway, and the last night, he said, I said, you're going to have to wait till morning before I go because I can't drive you drunk. And that's all there is to it. And he got, he ended up, oh, God, he ended up, um, this really pisses me off <laughs> that I did this. This, it really pisses me off I made him suffer so long because of my stupid alcohol, you know. And um, so what ended up happening was about the time, right before he got really crook, he had a blood, he had to have a blood test right before he got crook. And I, and I had an old blood test sitting around, I've been sitting there for a year because I avoided my year before um test and um anyway so I thought I'll get this test done anyway and he was in the hospital and the doctor called me and said oh you, you need to come and chat to me she says about this test and I said what is it she said liver she said it's basically tripled I said what she said it's tripled I said oh my god and she said and not only that Charmaine she says oh, you've got hep C mm. from my drug days mm-hmm. I never knew I had it so hep C was starting to attack my body. It was starting to attack my liver. It was starting to do everything. Um, and so what did I do? I went, I went straight to the pub as a drink. And I went home that night and I had my last drink, same as when I had my last shot. I just said no. I thought about the abuse I had copped. I thought about my daughter dying from alcohol and me and all of the abuse I had copped because of my drinking. Mm-hmm. And then Patrick was the last straw. I mean, I couldn't even drive a car because I was so drunk. Hmm. I couldn't even, I, I mean, they come at, once two o'clock comes, I can't drive a car. I can't go to dinner. I can't go see a band. My life is destroyed because I'm a drunk, because I'm a stupid idiot. <laughs> and honestly, it was that was it. It switched. I went to the bottom, in my opinion, by, um, I also abused some friends at that time in that drunken period. So I really made a bit of a mess before I tumbled down and fell like a tower. That was always going to happen. Mm. The good news is I haven't actually craved it once because mm. I it was like I took such a big, long look at myself. But these are the things that I do do now. Now, my, by my liver, I got hep C treatment. My hep C is gone did not have cirrhosis of the liver and it, it had only just started to um what they call it uh, fibrous it only just started to get fibrous mm-hmm. so i was telling the guy about all the stuff i'd done and he says i can't believe how good your liver is considering the abuse that you have done to it and my whole fear in my life was dying of liver poisoning or liver liver disease 
Mm-hmm. And and it, it, it had survived, but it's like I don't want to drink anymore. I don't want alcohol in my life anymore because, I mean, it's taken a long time for this old thick head to realise how much damage it actually did. But, geez, it destroyed my childhood. It destroyed my 20s. It destroyed my 30s. It destroyed, it didn't destroy my 40s. My 40s was probably the best experience I had with alcohol. 40s and 50s were my best time with alcohol, perhaps, um, because I had given up for a long period in my 40s anyway. But, um, you know, it, it just, it's just such a disgusting drug. It really is. These days, when I have social times, I drink zero beer. Yes, I still love beer. And I, I love that. And they, they make really bloody good zero beers now. Yeah, yeah. I will drink no alcohol wine with my friends because I think that's the hardest part is mm-hmm. when you're socialising is what do I do when I'm socialising? But if people see you with the stubby, with, you don't see the two zeros there. They just see that's that right. you're having a Heineken. They don't know it's a Heineken zero. Yeah. And, and that way they don't, you know, they don't ask you, oh, what are you giving up drinking for, you know? But, you know, um, I, I, I spent a long time over the last few years during COVID hating my own gut because I drank. It wasn't because of any way I was, but because I just didn't feel like I had control of it. And I think that thing with Patrick was just the whole thing to make me understand. And, you know, when he was in hospital, I had all this time to think about all the shitty things that had happened to me because of that bloody drug. Um, and, you know, so I got a new addiction. because I accept that I'm an addict. So my new Mm -hmm. addiction is exercise. Um, I've always loved exercise and it's always been my go back to. Mm -hmm. So now, um, you know, I've I've got a lot of other problems in my life, probably because of alcohol. I I did go up to 85 kilos in my um, alcohol thing. I've lost 20 kilos now. Wow. Well Um, done. Amazing. Yeah, it is. And my liver is great. And I know all of my, getting me levels done. (laughs) They're all going, you know, perfectly down. So, you know, it's been a really, really intense journey with alcohol. It's always been um, my demon. It was a bigger demon than than methamphetamines. Um, it was just been such a massive demon for me. And, and and everything that it brought to my life was just hell, to be honest. Have you been able to face the demons, like of the trauma and everything like that? Have you allowed oh, yeah. space yeah, for that yeah. to so heal? With the abuse with my mum, with the, with the sexual abuse, um, I told my mum when I was thirty, and um, weirdly, she took she didn't do anything about it, which is weird. But you know, stuff happens like that. Um, I forgave my stepfather to his face. Wow! I wow, that's him huge. Face. You have to. Because one of the things I found is while you were still hurting and like even with the ashes with Crystal, um, I end up ringing up, it was my ex-mother-in-law who had spread those ashes. I end up ringing up her and forgiving her as well. Because that's one of the things about being a medium is my guides made me face all these things. I know that sounds weird, but to be a medium, you can't walk into a mediumship with any baggage. You can't have the baggage. You can't be holding grudges against people who've done wrong in your life because one of the things mediums have to teach people is to let go of grief not let go of their loved ones but to let go of the grief and I had a hell of a lot of grief I had to let go of all different types of grief not just from losing my brother my daughter my father and my mum's gone now and 
Um, and the person that I end up having my amphetamine romance, he ended up committing suicide. So um, the amphetamines got to him. He took mm-hmm. his own life. We were together for four years and lived together for four years otherwise as as friends. And he he's still there. So there was a lot of trauma in my life that that mm. alcohol seemed to be hanging around all the time. You know, it's like, mm. oh, where's trauma? There's alcohol. That that's how it felt to me. So I really had to step up and um and accept responsibility for my part, my participation in my abuse in all cases. In all cases, you know, really? um, a lot of people say, you know, like even when I was getting bashed up, that was me. I was staying. I was I was the one living. I was the one living there. My fault. Not when you're a little girl getting sexual. Not when you're a little girl, though. No, no, but I did forgive that. I I finally forgave that. Um, I talk openly about that on my page now so other people can open up about that. Because if we don't start talking about it, then the kids aren't going to know. Yeah, that's true. And the kids need to know. Well, the the way I got sexually abused was I had started masturbating for some reason. I don't know why, but my stepdad had walked in on me and obviously been turned on by it. Mm. And. That's how it started. I'm, I don't think I've ever told anyone that. Anyway, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just popped out there. That that was a very very shameful shameful thing. Um, yeah. And so I so that was why I thought I had instigated it. That was why I thought it was my fault. And so you know who told you know who straightened me up about that? And they were harsh. My guides. You know what they said to me? They showed me when I was training, when I was um, learning to be a medium. Um, we went through a six months what would you say counselling session where they taught me to let, and this was daily, <laughs> all day, every day, and they would talk to me about letting go of like the ashes. They said, well, what can you do with the ashes? How, yeah, what are you going to do with the ashes? How, you can't get the ashes back. There's no sense hanging on to that pain. You know? And so, um, which is very freeing, very freeing. Once you, once you liberate yourself from the grudge, it's so freeing. Um, but what they showed me with the sexual abuse, they showed me it happening. They gave me a vision. They said, this is what happened. And they showed me. And it was horrifying to watch for me because it was mm-hmm. like it was like being outside of your body and watching this thing happen. Mm-hmm. And they said to me, now, Charmaine, at that point you had a choice. You could have gone to your mother that minute. Why didn't you go to your mother? And they stumped me. Why? Why didn't I go to my mother? And they said, you could have told her at any time, but you chose to hold on to it. You chose to let it fester. You chose to keep his secret to protect him because the abuser is always protected by the one that's groomed. Yeah. Weirdly. Yeah. They said, you chose to protect him. You chose all that. You did. Yeah, in a sense, yeah. it's like you were putting, well, not in a sense, you were putting other people's, you were protecting them over protecting yourself. You're protecting mum, you're protecting exactly. him. Mm. Exactly. So where was and your self-worth? How, yeah, so that's where your self-worth goes. My self-worth was zero to me, so therefore I ended yeah. up with the abusive man and you mix all of that with alcohol and we've got a right old mess, haven't we? <laughs> yes, yeah. Wow, it's, it's such shocking. a big and powerful story. So you did you have you I know that you've written um three books. Have you talked yeah. about all those experiences in the books? Um I've never talked about the sexual abuse in a book because my stepfather was alive when I wrote my first two books. And strangely, out of a weird respect for my mum, <laughs> I decided not to do that. 
Um, so I've never, I, I talk about it now, but I just haven't written about that and why I was an addict. That's why I was an addict. I am an addict and I will always be an addict. I just have to pick my addictions. And I, and I, and, and I think that my story helps a lot of people because I've been through a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the transgender daughter, for God's sakes. But um, I've been mm-hmm. through, it feels like that life has thrown every arrow it can at me, you know, and I've had to catch it. And so I use all of my experience to help others because, you know, I'm, I, I, I know that everything, we have the power to do and be whoever we want. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to drink, you don't have to drink. And I know a lot of alcoholics out there hate themselves because they're drinking. And this self-loathing comes out in so many other ways. It comes out in your health. It comes out in your relationships, the self-loathing. And if you are really out there hating yourself because you don't want to drink, it's really as simple as putting it down. And I don't think a lot of people realise that we just have to put it down. I, I, I know a lot of people also need to have counselling and all that type of stuff as well, and I get that. Yeah. I've been really lucky in the fact that my, my guides, who else would you, the best counsellors in the world. Yeah, and have free. Been absolutely made. They are <laughs> magnificent counsellors. They've, they've gone through all of this with me. I mean, they were the ones that were obviously putting the, the skip. They knew I was going to, they knew I had hep C. I didn't know I had hep C. So that was obviously why they were trying to stop me drinking all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, your liver's going to go. Your liver's go- It was every day, your liver's going to go. Your liver's going to go. You're going to. <laughs> One of my friend's sisters passed through liver disease. She drank herself to death. Um, another one of my friends, he died of um, pancreatic cancer. Another big drinker went to his liver. He died. And another friend of mine who didn't even drink much, um, she ended up getting pancreatic cancer that went to her liver. She's since passed. Uh, she passed, you know, I had given up. So I go, she, she told me that. And so I've got all these friends that are dying from liver disease. And here I am with this <laughs> amazingly liver that's just hanging on there, you know. And I thought to myself, you know, you've got life. They no longer have life. And you've got mm. two grandchildren. And for mm. them to always see grandma staggering around drunk can't be nice, you know. Mm. Oh, what did grandma do? She drank. Oh, my grandma was a big drinker. Oh, God. My grandmother was a big drinker, personally. And mm. my mum told me, it's come down through the, through the ages. My grandfather, my grandmother, big drinkers. My mother and father didn't drink at all. It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, mm-hmm. It's amazing. So, I love what you said. You know, if you've got life, you know, you can, you've yeah. got your life. You've still got something you've to got hang on life. to. Mm. And, and watching my friends die from liver cancer and just, whoa. Yeah. What a horrible, painful, horrible way to go. Yeah. Of something that isn't doing anything but destroying your brain, for God's sake. What it does to your brain is amazing. You know, I can be a normal, sensible person, but, you know, once I add so much alcohol, I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, when you've got all that underlying trauma there too. I've got a couple yeah. of questions. Firstly, I mean, fucking thank you. What a huge story to share. And I know it's just going to reach so, you know, so many people and and touch a lot of people. How do you find that space within you to give forgiveness like that, to be able to forgive people that have hurt you so deeply? How do you do that Um, if you're not a spirit medium, if you don't have that gift? Well, this is, this is the way I tell people is that basically um, when you hold a grudge like that, 
they're not even thinking about you. They don't give two shits about you. They gave up on you 10 years ago or whenever the event happened. They don't think about you. They don't care about you. And when you continue, and I always say, if you were giving people a portion of your time every day with hate, then they own you. They own your brain. They own you. And the one thing you you were, and I just say to people, you are giving away your power and you are giving it to the people you hate most. Because every single time you relive that pain in a painful way or an angry way, I can relive my pain and not do it in an angry way. Mm-hmm. Um, every time you relive that pain in an angry way, every time you tell someone what this person has done to you, every time you think about what terrible thing they have done to you, they own you. They got you again. They got you in the past and they got you yesterday and they got you today and they're going to get you tomorrow. And they're going to keep on getting you until you let it go. And I know that a lot of people hate that word, let it go, but until you let them go, they own you and they have the power to hurt you without even saying a word. That's how I did it. Yeah, that's powerful. That's fucking amazing. <laughs> you should start your own church. That was awesome. <laughs> I say this all the time. I say this every time I do a show on stage. I, I, I talk about that a lot. What a powerful I, thing to be able to share with people. And to that's such an amazing bit of wisdom to be able to impart on people because everyone to some degree has something to let go of. Like, fuck, I do. do. Everyone does. You know, yeah. there's things we could still yeah. work on letting go of for sure. Yeah. And it's just it's just realizing that that you know like you know like um like like say my ex you know with, with all the, the stuff that, that happened I've forgiven him now we're best of mates believe it or not with all the beatings yeah. and everything like that we yeah. are really good unfortunately he has cancer now we came together because of the kids and I'm a very forgiving person and 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 my my kids were amazed my daughter just said to me the other day mum I'm so glad that you weren't as hard on dad as he was on you <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, it wasn't going to get me anywhere, was it? It wasn't going because he had custody. I had to be the good kid. You know, I had to be like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to badmouth you in front of those kids because if I do, it's going to go back and then it's going to start a fight. So I realised that being a co-parenting situation, well, it wasn't really co-parenting, I had every second weekend, I really had to keep myself good um, yeah. because I didn't want the kids to um, think that I was just a cranky old bitch Another thing that happened to me too was when um, I was going through the custody battles and I was still on drugs, um, at that point my, my count, there was a counsellor I had to talk to with the courts and my kids got a counsellor because I was a drug addict and their dad was a drug addict, but he was the lesser of the two evils apparently. <laughs> I beg to differ, always will on that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, they said to me, they said, you were never getting your children back, Mrs. Wilson. They said, and the reason that you're not getting him back is because you have stopped being their mother. And I said, what do you mean? They said, well, the kids have told me because they had their own um, person. The kids told them, we don't want to go to mum's because every time we go around, she cries and cries and cries. Mm. And she begs us to come back. And so the counsellor said, you know, if you want to do yourself a favour, give them you back. You give them you back. Be the mother they remember. And stop being this drug-affected, sniveling, whining woman. Wow. It was tough. How did that land for you? It worked. It, it worked. Oh, it worked. I'm someone, if you just painted out the picture to me, I will see it and go, oh, my God, there you go. 
and I became their mother again. And I stopped, you know, I stopped being angry at their dad because I, and I took, I, I took responsibility for my actions. And I don't think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people keep on blaming, oh, I did this because of that. No, <laughs> you did this. That might have been a factor, but you still did it. And I really felt that the biggest part of my healing was accepting responsibility for my participation in my abuse. And that is all you have to do when you realise that you gave yourself to those abusers on a silver platter by being there. Does that give you more shame? Look at it that way. Does it give you a feeling of shame or does it give you a sense of freedom? No, because I know my reasons for saying that. It gives me a sense of freedom, to be honest with you, because... You know, to hold in, like, you know, like if, if I'm getting beaten up, I mean, I'm the idiot staying there. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't have any shame with that now because I'm not there anymore. Mm-hmm. That was another version of Charmaine that no longer exists. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. we, we, we evolve and develop if we let ourselves evolve and develop. Yes. Um, you know, so, so right at the moment, so my situation at the moment is my mum has now passed, my stepfather has now passed, so they're all gone. I don't talk to any of my um, other family members anymore. I just, I've fallen out with them and I'm, I'm, I'm the queen of the cords, you know, if, if you know, I, I am, I'm at that point in my life that if anyone is going to abuse me, they don't get to do it twice. Fuck you know? Yes. Yes. It's so they powerful don't get to that. Do it twice. Yeah. 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 And there's a difference between boundaries and forgiveness too. I think they're very, yes. You know, we can be quite clear about that. That's one thing I've had to work through um, with some of my family relationships. It's like there's a difference between forgiveness and setting boundaries. Mm. You can still forgive, but yes. you can still set a very healthy boundary to say, I'm done with that. Absolutely. I was actually looking for a, um, I didn't know how to let go of her because she's family. Okay. Mm. So at the time I was writing to reading um, about Buddhism and everything, and I read Mm. this little verse, if someone hurts you, they get bad karma in their life. If you willingly allow someone to hurt you, thereby you are creating the bad karma for them. So therefore you too will get bad karma. And that day I decided I was never going to speak to my sister again. Mm. And so... um, uh, from afar, you know, I keep in contact with her through nieces. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very loose. But that, but that, it's true. If you willingly allow someone to hurt you, then you are creating bad karma for them and therefore you will get bad karma yourself. And it makes sense. If you keep staying in a situation where you're getting hurt, you're going to continue to get hurt. Someone's got to break that cycle. And I've, I've had no worries about just cutting ties because I know that people once they start, once they once they find a weakness in you, that will keep they will keep hammering at it. Wow, what a they... powerful message. Have you written a book about like do any of the books cover that sermon you just gave? Because if they don't, you should. <laughs> That's my psychic <laughs> bit of wisdom over to you. <laughs> I, I probably should. I should. I do a lot of uploads on this type of stuff. I do a lot of live, I do Sunday soul sessions. Where I do a lot of Sunday soul sessions on letting go. Um People find it so hard to let go. And um, I do a lot of soul sessions on that, um, you know, over the years. I did think I did seven years of Sunday soul sessions on different things, and that was one of my major subjects. Where did because, you, you know, On Facebook Live. On Facebook. On Facebook. 
Wow. Okay. And if people want to follow you on Instagram or Facebook, what's the handle? What's the Instagram? Okay. Inst- Instagram, I've let go of a little bit because um, Instagram won't do anything about the people who duplicate your accounts. So I'm not so much on Instagram anymore. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm still there, but I don't put anything on it because every time I put something on it, if, if anyone who comments on that post will get har- harassed by a scammer offering them a reading. Oh. So I'm on Facebook and TikTok. So oh, TikTok. TikTok is on. Yeah, I do little short videos. Um, when people ask me little questions, I do short videos. So that's um, Charmaine Wilson forty two is on mm. TikTok on TikTok and just Charmaine Wilson, the Australian medium, on Facebook. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And also, I'll put links to your uh, website because you've got lots of events coming up. I saw that quite a few of them are sold I do. out. I've your got live events. events. Oh, yeah, they selling out like crazy. Um, I used to do seventy shows a year all over the country, and. Oh, um, yeah. I've decided since COVID taught me to stay at home, I'm type of liking that. I do online shows as well now to, you know, and I'm only doing 10 shows live a year out in the wilderness. Um, so um, they, they're selling that very, very, very quickly. I saw moment. that. I was like, holy shit. Um, one, yeah. uh, one of my challenge group people, she just did one of your live events uh, the other day and you did a reading with her you picked her oh good and um some stuff came through and you said you kept saying to her something about a table a table a ta- like there's a table yes and yes. she said no it's a bookshelf but she realized afterwards that she goes oh my god so she kept saying oh no I've got a bookshelf and you're like yeah no maybe I don't know yeah, no, and then when she, table. <laughs> you, and you know what you were spot on she goes oh my god she realized later that she's got this table of her aunties that the whole family used to sit around when they'd go on these holidays and she'd forgotten all about it she's like oh, shit. oh. Yeah. oh my, I've got goosebumps just saying it but yeah it's yeah, it's amazing. great yeah and it, 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 the little online shows are quite good actually there's only 50 people that's it uh my other shows they're enormous so I, yeah, I, but last show I got at Townsville, 737. So <laughs> big shows. God, that must yeah. feel a lot of pressure. Firstly, there'd be a lot of spirits talking at you, but also like trying to, who do you pick? Who are you going to read? Like, and people would be oh, so it's, desperate. It's, it, it, look, I just trust, you know, they lead me to where I want to go. I mean, I go to, I don't yell stuff out or anything like that. I go to the person, you know, so. Um, I, 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 some people say, how do you do it? I say, I'm not quite sure. I just. Let's just do it. I know. And, um, yeah. yeah, God, it's so incredible. Like I said, with the reading you did with me and when Dad came through, I was just like, oh, when you said his name, you're like, John, I'm like, holy fuck. Like he just nailed it. And then so many things. And then when he talked about the end of his life and how we we're all there and it, oh, it was just incredible and just so but specific, you know, those things that you pointed out. And I just it's, knew. It's I've it's, been very, very lucky. Um I've been very, very diligent with it as well. You know, I, I, I've never, you know, I've never gone to, I only do medium readings. I don't do future Psychic stuff, or yeah. anything like that. No, I don't, don't stray from the past. And mm. my main focus is not on teaching people to be mediums, but teaching people to move on from grief. That grief, I always say grief is something we must go through. It's not a destination. Um, you know, mm. like you don't have to stay in grief because they sure don't. And like, as you know, you've already had evidence. Your dad is watching stuff. Mm. He's not missing out. He's mm. still there. Mm. And, you know, so, you know, um, I, I just think that a lot of a lot of people can benefit if they're suffering from grief from a good medium reading. You know, That's they can really thing. benefit because it will lift you and give you a belief and faith and hope. I'm happy to talk to anyone about addiction and any problems that they may be having. Um, you know, and if, if I find it's too much to do an email, I'll just do an upload on it. 
mm-hmm. and um, share it with them because sometimes it's easier to talk than it is to write. I'm lazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, yeah, but if anybody wants to contact me and ask me anything about that type of stuff, I'm happy to help. Amazing. Um, one last question before you go. I ask this of every guest. If you could go back in time and talk to Charmaine when she was 14 years old before she had that drink, wiped herself out, what would you say to her? What advice would you give her? Well, the first thing I'd tell her to do was tell her mother what happened. Mm. I would tell her then. I would say, go and tell mum what happened. Go and tell mum what happened with your stepdad because at that time mum would have taken action. Um, that's what I would have said. Go and yeah. tell mum. Yeah. Um, because if I had gone and told mum, my whole life would have changed. It would have been completely different. I probably wouldn't be a medium, to be honest with you. But um, I sometimes wonder if I got this, you know, this this life, so that I could eventually help other people. There's not much that I haven't experienced in life. But even the transgender daughter has been. Whew, that was a doozy when that one happened too. But, you know, everything that has happened to me in my life has definitely had purpose, meaning and reason. Um, mm. But I think I spend a lot of time being too drunk and too high mm. to appreciate what I had. And um, my biggest thing, that I, if I have any regrets at all, because you can't have regrets in life because that just makes you sad. But I think if I did say I had a regret, it would be um, not being more sober with my kids I have now. Mm, that would be yeah. that would be the regret yeah but but now I am sober and we're we've got more chances so we can we can start fresh yeah. and my grandkids never have to see drunk grandma again <laughs> yeah what an amazing gift to give them that's incredible yes. um yes. amazing oh Charmaine you you're amazing thank you so much Charmaine Wilson I'll put all the links for all the things in my show thank notes. Thank you so much. And thank you for letting me tell my story. I don't get to tell that one very often. And um, I, I, I just, you know, I, I, I th- the, the alcohol thing's only been for a year. But for the last 10 years I've been telling myself all these reasons why I should be able to drink, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I, and- even started, I even took it out of my training. I, when I started drinking again, I took it out of my um, how to get through grief thing. I stopped saying that. But now I say, don't drink when you're grieving. <laughs> absolutely yeah I think you've got to feel through the grief you have to feel into it and and it's there's there's so much richness in grief even though it's hard but you know oh it's just there's so much learning in it oh god it's there's it's quite amazing learning Mm, yeah yeah so much learning yeah what an amazing woman thank you so much
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.